is from Isaiah 26, and that's on 709 in the Church Bibles. That's 709. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have, done, we have accomplished, you have done for us. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honour. They are now dead, they live no more. Those departed spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, O Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress when you disciplined them. They could barely whisper a prayer. As a woman with child and about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, O Lord. We were with child. We writhed in pain, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to people of the world, but your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you're up for a quiz question, and I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I asked it to the morning congregation, and they got it right. Somebody did, anyway. I wonder if you know where these words come from. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. I'm looking round. Yes. What, which book? Oh, yes. Well done. Actually, there were more of you who knew it than they did in the, in the morning. Yes, it's the opening sentence of Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, published in 1859. And the title, <clears throat> A Tale of Two Cities, could easily be the title for our sermon tonight. 
In our series from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we've reached chapter 26. And in the past few weeks, we've seen Isaiah prophesy against a backdrop of a world that had turned its back on God, and even God's own people had been unfaithful. All the way through the book, men and women are presented with a choice. Will we choose the way of the world or God's way? Will we go for godly wisdom or the world's foolishness? Will we choose belief in the one true God and his promises, or will we choose not to believe? Will we choose the world's city, which will eventually lie desolate and in ruins, as we read in chapter 24, verse 10, or will we choose God's city, the city described here in verse 1 of 26, as strong with ramparts and walls based on God's almighty salvation, the city that will last for eternity. And before we look at the passage in detail, a reminder of what has been mentioned before, namely, that contrary to popular belief, the Old Testament, being the inspired word of God, could not be more relevant to us today for two reasons. The first is this, human nature has not changed. And the second, nor has the character of God. So let's turn to Isaiah 26, page 709. It would be great help if you have it in front of you. Because I want to underline, first of all, the precarious nature of the city without God. The precarious nature of the city without God. Look at verse 5. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed the footsteps of the poor. This city is lofty, not just the height of its buildings, but the attitude of its inhabitants. The inhabitants are arrogant. Look at verse 10. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. These people are unwilling to learn God's ways. They refuse the grace he extends to them. They are blind to God's power and majesty. They have other idols which they serve, money, success, reliance on themselves, thinking that they know it all. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes similar attitudes in his letter to the Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul continues that as a result of their attitude, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. In his sermon last week, Tim Mullins spoke memorably about celebrity atheists who delight in pouring scorn on Almighty God. You hear what they say, and you fear for them. Of course, people today don't have to live or work in skyscrapers to exhibit the characteristics of the man or woman without God. 
but the tall buildings of the great cities of the world, New York and London, Beijing and Dubai, could be seen as a symbol of the lofty attitude God is warning against here. And the point about it is this, how precarious it all is. In my lifetime, I've seen so many surefire, guaranteed, safe and secure institutions tumble, like the insurers Lloyds of London, which until the early 1990s you bought into as a mark of financial success and the returns were guaranteed. It still exists, but in a much more tightly regulated way, after many individual names were bankrupted. Like Enron, whose office in London was just round the corner, the U.S. Energy Corporation, into which thousands of its employees poured their pension savings and then went bankrupt in December 2001. And during the recent global financial crisis, I heard of a banker who in the autumn of 2007 had spent the whole of the bonus he was expecting in the following February. But of course the bonus never came. That surefire guarantee was no more. And not just institutions, but rulers. In verse 13, Isaiah talks about other lords besides you have ruled over us. They are now dead. They live no more. Very blunt, Isaiah. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. Nikolai Ceausescu was the head of state of Romania for over 20 years, from 1967 to 1989. His regime became increasingly brutal and repressive and has been described as one of the most rigidly Stalinist in the Soviet Union. In December 1989, he ordered his security forces to fire on anti-government demonstrators. And that led to even more unrest. I watched his last appearance with his wife on television. He was speaking from a balcony to the crowds below in Bucharest. But the crowds became increasingly hostile, and you could almost see his power and authority draining away, and he knew it, and he couldn't understand it. A few days later, on Christmas Day in 1989, the couple were tried and convicted on charges of genocide, An hour later, they were shot by a firing squad. Truly, the city without God puts its rulers and inhabitants in a very precarious position. And one day, God's judgment will fall on all who choose to live without him. Secondly, I want to underline this, the unchanging character of Almighty God the unchanging character of Almighty God. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. God is eternal, not like some earthly ruler whose lifespan is short. He is outside time. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Lord, from the Hebrew Adon, or Adonai, meaning one possessed of absolute control or one who is supreme master. That's why, verse 5, God has the power to humble the arrogant, to level the lofty city to the ground, and to punish all wickedness. He is the rock, a description the psalmist often uses of God. He is immovable, unchangeable, and totally secure. 
as an aside, how ironic it is that the first United Kingdom bank to crash in the recession was called Northern Rock. God is holy. Upright one, verse 7, whose laws are designed to bring the greatest enjoyment to human life. He is the God of grace, verse 10, who is prepared to show mercy to those who reject him. Indeed, as I said a few weeks ago, the New Testament tells us that God holds back his righteous punishment for evil because, in the words of 2 Peter, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How different that is from how people normally think of God. He is majestic, verse 10. He's powerful, verse 11. That's the meaning of your hand is lifted high. He is, in fact, the king of kings, and one day every knee will bow to him when he comes in majesty and glory, whether they acknowledge him or not. And as we heard last week in chapter 25, verse 8, the day is coming when he'll swallow up death forever. Is that how you see God? Do you see him as he really is? So easy in the daily grind of the office to forget who God is and what he is really like. When we're bombarded at every point with subtle and not so subtle attacks on Almighty God and on those who serve him, it's so easy for us to lose the real picture. That's why coming to church every week and reading our Bibles regularly is key. Can I suggest a new thing to take on for Lent. You know, we always talk about giving things up for Lent. Why not read one chapter a day of the Gospels? To read the Bible regularly, to see Jesus as he really is. What the crowds made of him. Why did they follow him? Why did they say that he talked with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees? What was it that drew professional fishermen, not weekend fishermen, but professional fishermen who had a very dangerous occupation, centurions who knew life and death. What drew them to Jesus? There's my challenge. At least one chapter a day to get the real Jesus. We need to be immersed in the truth about Jesus. That's what happens as we open ourselves to Scripture, not in the lies that the world would throw at us. So let's celebrate today, let's not be gloomy, let's rejoice about the unchanging character of Almighty God in a changing, despairing world, a world often without hope, often where we are challenged by man's inhumanity to man. Here we are in the 21st century and we read of unspeakable things that belong to centuries ago not the 21st century. Let's celebrate. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, the precarious nature of the city without God, the unchanging character of Almighty God, and here's my last point. The priceless gift of the peace of God. The priceless gift of the peace of God. Look at verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. 
Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. I would suspect that if you were to go outside and offer passers-by in a street perfect peace, I think you would have lots of takers. For this restless, busy, hectic capital city offers many things, many wonderful things, but perfect peace is not easily found. At first sight, these verses could simply be saying something like, if you want to know freedom from anxiety and peace of mind, trust in God. In other words, they could appear to be speaking only of the peace of God. In fact, it's much deeper than that. For here in these verses is encapsulated something that was to become the linchpin doctrine of the Reformation, namely justification by faith alone. To understand that, we have to look at verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. The righteous nation and the righteous mentioned in verse 7 are those who have put their faith or their trust in God for salvation. It's exactly the same thought that we read back way back in Genesis 15 when it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he, the Lord, credited it to him as righteousness. When you and I take God at his word, when we believe what God tells us, that on the cross Jesus died in our place for our sin, then that belief is credited to us as righteousness. We are then justified. It is, as someone has said, just as if I had never sinned. From now on, when God looks at us, he'll see not our weaknesses and failings, but the righteousness of Christ. He will look at us through Jesus-tinted spectacles. Now, that is a huge statement. And when you really understand it, it transforms your life. To quote the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Before we become Christians, we are God's enemies, separated from him by our sins. We are subject to the wrath of God, which is not, as I said a few weeks ago, about God losing his temper, but is God's settled, considered anger against all that is evil and spoils the beautiful world that he made. After we become Christians, to quote an American pastor called Bob Deffenbaugh, the hostilities have ended. The one who has been justified by faith can now breathe a sigh of relief. The war with God is over. Peace has been declared. We have been reconciled to God. And so it's true that we can read in Isaiah 26 verse 12, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Because we have peace with God, we can then know the peace of God. 
The perfect peace with God, to quote verse 3 again, comes out of trust in God and what he has done for us on the cross. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon preached a mighty sermon. You can look it up. It goes on for pages, just on verse 3. But I'm going to quote a tiny bit of it. This is what he wrote. Look upward and you will perceive no seat of fiery wrath to shoot devouring flame. Look downward and you discover no hell, for there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Look back and sin is blotted out. Look around and all things work together for good to them that love God. That, in the rather quaint words of the 19th century preacher, is what it means to have perfect peace. Here's how the Amplified Bible translates verse 3. You will guard and keep in perfect and constant peace the man or woman whose mind is stayed on you because they commit themselves to you, lean on you, and hope confidently in you. Don't you think that's brilliant? You will guard and keep in perfect and constant peace the man or woman whose mind is stayed on you because they commit themselves to you, lean on you, and hope confidently in you. And it's not as if life with God is easy. In verses 16 to 18, Isaiah describes how the Lord disciplines us in ways that can be painful, indeed, very painful. But then he goes on to declare the other great truth that is wonderfully expanded in the New Testament. For just as we heard last week in 25.8 that God will finally destroy death, so here in verse 19, we have the corollary of that. God, God's people will know bodily resurrection from the dead. Death can no longer hold us. We can look ahead to the most amazing future beyond this life. It's a thought that has comforted me a great deal as I buried a number of our senior members of St. Michael's, Georgette Butcher, this last week, 92, a woman of the most amazing prayer. And yet, as we committed her to God, I knew that she is in heaven with God and that she, the death does not control her. Physically, yes, but spiritually, no. And her body will rise at the last day. She will be Georgette in all her glory. Georgette was so funny sometimes. I will tell you this, I'm being rather naughty. She was nearly blind every Sunday morning she came on the bus. I promised, I said, please take a taxi. But she wouldn't, because when you're 92, you don't. You don't, you just keep going. And she sat me down in the morning service one day and said, Charles, I'm going to ask you something rather odd. I said, Georgette, anything I can do? She said, at the Thanksgiving service, which is in March, I want a song. I said, Georgette, of course. She said, I want the song, Keep Right On Till the End of the Road. Now, if you know that song, it's a sort of First World War song. But Georgette was telling us something. Keep right on. Keep right on. Because we can look ahead to the most amazing future. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, God gives us a glorious picture of heaven. I saw the city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And in this city, God's city, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
Yippee. Yippee. You see, when you know, when you really know for certain, as Georgette did, that that is what is ahead for you, nothing will be able to shake you. You will know perfect peace, no matter what is going on around you. And you'll be able to joyfully and truthfully sing uh, the words that we sang this morning. It is well with my soul. And the man who wrote that lost all his children who were drowned at sea. It is well with my soul. Well, I began today with the words from A Tale of Two Cities. And I spoke about the choice that is there for all of us, to choose the lofty city of the world or the strong, permanent city of God. If you know and follow Christ, then thank him for bringing you into that place of such great blessing. What a privilege. What a huge privilege. We dare not take it for granted. We dare not be ungrateful. If you don't yet know Christ, decide that you will start to follow him. The gates are open. The invitation is there. But they won't be open forever. Perfect peace can be yours even today. Make that choice now. It's the most important decision you will ever make. And you'll never regret it. Because God can give what money can't buy. Money can never buy. God's perfect peace. And if you have that, you have everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the world through your eyes. All its boasted pomp and show, as the hymn writer puts it. It does have good things. But help us to see it as it truly is. Help us to see that you're the God who is almighty and permanent. And your love is almighty and permanent. Extended to us in invitation. And may we be those who accept that invitation so that we know that peace which only you can give. A peace that the world desperately searches for in all the wrong places. Because it's yours to give. So may we leave tonight really encouraged and thrilled about your amazing generosity, your lavish love that chooses to be patient with us, giving us time to accept that invitation if we never have or to be truly grateful and to live lives that are fruitful for you wherever you have placed us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.